Welcome to another podcast from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing. This recording was made on Wednesday 7th of February 2018 and features Mark Bloch and Susie Key Ho from Pearson Education. They're talking about creating digital products for the educational market and the talk was introduced by Nicola Timbrell. Today uh, we are very privileged to have Mark Block, who's Head of Digital from Pearson, and also Siki uh, Ho, who is a Product Manager in the Science area. So I'm going to pass over to them, and uh, they're going to tell you a little bit more about themselves, and lots more. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm, going to, I'm going to do most of the talking, for which I apologise because I'm a very boring person. Um, but Siki brilliantly has just joined us, um, and she'll have lots of stuff to tell you about. Um, thank you so much for coming to see us today, um, and I know this is your lunchtime, so we feel really sort of privileged that you're spending your time with us during your lunchtime. But please make sure it's valuable to you, okay? Don't be polite and just listen to stuff that's boring, okay? If you want to know something, can you just interrupt and put your hand up, say, I want to know this now, okay? So Nicola wrote down some, uh, some questions for us. Um, sorry, it's called Nicola, isn't that weird? Nick wrote down some questions for us um, here, um, which are some suggestions of the things that we thought we'd talk about, and we'll try and cover those but literally, you know, just sort of go, no, no, you want to know about this or, or, or anything. So interrupt at any time. We're going to do it as a little bit of a sort of double act conversation. Um, I've sort of been in this business for years and years and years, and so I'm a bit boring and jaded. Siki is sort of earlier on in her career, um, has just moved, um, just joined us at Pearson from OUP, which we're so delighted about. Um, but we're going to talk generally a little, you know, about digital publishing, some of the things that we do, um, and we might have a bit of a focus on science because that's both of our interests as, uh, as well. Is that right? Yeah? Okay, good. Everyone smiles and nods, that's good. So, um, uh, so the first sort of couple of things it says on my brief list here is can we talk a little bit about digital publishing and Pearson education um, and a brief overview of our digital products and the educational market. And I've just remembered actually, which one thing I'm going to do, sorry, is I'm going to bring up something that I, I actually made for a talk um, a little while ago for, the, uh, for, for a board member who had a question which was, um, why, why is uh, digital education not being used more in UK secondary schools? And so I made this slide to talk about it and I'm going to put that up Okay, so um, I made this timeline to talk about how um, digital education has happened over the last sort of 18 years, purely because that starts at the year 2000. Um, and it's a really interesting story, because we're in educational publishing. We, um, uh, we rely, our main customer are schools, and schools get, in main part, get most of their money from government. So our market, really depends on what governments are doing. You know, if, if governments didn't want to spend any money on education, our market would dry up. If governments throw loads of money into education, our, our market gets bigger. Um, so, uh, goodness, I'm talking to people, I'm gonna say, oh, you remember 2000? No, I suppose many of you were probably born around that sort of time. But back in that time, it was, you know, um, computers were sort of alien creatures. Um, this thing here, does anyone know what that is? Just a quick test. 
anyone in the audience know what that image was? It was a very popular image. I don't know, can you click on it? Because it will come up bigger. It will probably say what it is. Does anyone remember what that is? Does anyone have a clue? That was a thing called the Millennium Bug. Okay? Now, we believed at the time that computers had a fundamental flaw that meant that they were all going to go wrong as the clock ticked over from 1999 to 2000. That's a long, long time ago. But... That gives you an idea of how sort of new computers were and how people didn't really understand them. And the government decided they wanted to make a big difference for it. So what they did was they poured money into digital education in schools. Um, this thing here says £230 million that was spent um, new opportunities fund in schools, £100 million laptop for teacher fund, um, and here it says interactive whiteboards, which are these things. And government absolutely shoved money in. And that really kick-started technology um, in schools. And in fact, um, what, start, what, what happened was, is loads of people got these interactive whiteboards. And at the time, um, I was going around doing loads of market research, going into schools, and I could see these beautiful, shiny, interactive whiteboards that were costing an awful lot of money. And they gave the most beautiful blue light to every classroom that's there. Okay? It was a blue light because that was the colour that they go when they're in standby mode. Okay? So all of that money, look, that's 350, 400, you know, 500 million pounds have been spent bringing technology into schools and they were all just standing there in standby mode. Why do you think that was? It wasn't that they didn't know how to use them, it's they didn't know how to use them to teach, right? And that was one of the things. Yeah, yeah. So they were a bit funny about it. Now, teaching is a strange occupation, right? Um, you know, when I used, to, I used to be a classroom teacher many years ago, and I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm standing in front of a classroom and I'm talking to people, you know? Uh, and my interaction is with what we call meatware in the software industry, you know, people, right? Um, it's a job where I come in every day and I talk to people un unencumbered in this sort of way. Whereas most other jobs in the world, people sit down in front of a computer and they tap on a computer for the whole day. So teachers don't feel comfortable with laptops, and for years, the way that they had taught used blackboards, whiteboards, and textbooks. And so all this money was buying equipment that wasn't really being used. And that is a problem for government, it's a problem for education, and so therefore it's an opportunity for people who create digital products for schools or for you know, dig digital or even just school books. Okay? This is an opportunity. There is a problem. Okay? Whenever you start looking for something to publish, first of all, look for the problem that someone has. Okay? It's, it could be all sorts of different problems. Okay? It might be that the government's changed what A-levels look like. What's my problem? I need to be able to start teaching tomorrow. So what's the simple solution? I need new textbooks to help me do that. I've got a problem. I've got loads of equipment in my classroom. I don't know how to use it. And the inspectors are coming in and expect, expecting me to use it. So what we did was we created a product around this time, and it was not long after that probably that I first started talking to you guys, um, and we created this thing that was called Active Teach, and I will show you Active Teach in a while. Um, what was Active Teach? Well, really, the first thing it was was a textbook on screen, and you could turn the pages of, 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 um, of, of the textbook on screen, and that was really popular with teachers. Why do you think it was really popular? Just go back, what was the problem? 
that they were having, they weren't used to computers, they were used to the way they were teaching. Why did they like a textbook on screen? Because it sounded like it would normally be. Yeah, exactly. It just felt so familiar. And they go, oh, I know what to do. I, I can turn the page. And we made it. And I'm afraid I haven't been able to connect my computer to this thing. They were able to turn the page. And what we did was we, uh, at the same time, Harry Potter was coming about. And they had, um, uh, they had images in Harry Potter, you know, photos that move and, the, and things like that. And we said, we're going to make a Harry Potter book, right? You can turn the pages, but every photo is going to be a video and every diagram is going to be an animation. And that can bring some extra elements to the classroom. And there's all sorts of publishing stories that go into that. But that essentially is why it was so popular, was because it just felt really comfortable. And I think it's something that's really worth knowing. You know, if you're trying to create a new type of product, people need to understand how to use it. And the reason that we were massively successful, and we were hugely successful with that, um, was because um, it felt really familiar um, and things. And actually, sorry, Seek, I don't mean to be on this. And we built on that. Um, and over time, um, we were able to launch other products. We uh, did a, a course which is very similar called Bug Club at Primary, teaching literacy, which has been very successful as well. Um, and uh, we started moving our products. So back in the day, um, everything was on CD-ROMs, and we had mountains and mountains of CD-ROMs. And we moved away from publishing things on CD-ROMs uh, much more towards um, online uh, products. Um, and so we, we, we started doing online products, and I'll talk a little bit about why that was transformational for us. But do you remember I was talking about uh, government? Government decide whether we're going to be rich or poor, whether we're going to be successful or not, because they decide how much money they're going to put into education. Now here, governments have been pouring money into schools and they said, if we buy equipment, that will make a massive, massive difference. But then the new government came in in 2010. Um, this has been a Labour government with a lot of money. This was now, 2010, was post a big economic crash. Conservative government came in and they said, look, we're going to stop just spending money in schools. We're going to get rid of BECTA, which was the big organisation for, for technology in schools. It was called the Bonfire of the Quangos, which is why there's a picture of a bonfire there. They said, we're going to get rid of all of that. Um, and the new focus moved away from just buying technology to, now, a way of putting it would be to say to focusing on what really is working and is effective in classrooms. And even to this day, um, there's actually a lot of evidence to say that what works really well in the classroom are things like textbooks. So our current minister, uh, there's, there's Nick Gibb, um, he's really worried about the fact that people aren't using enough maths textbooks. And so his rhetoric is we should be spending more on books. Okay? Now for me as a digital publisher, that could be really, really bad news. Okay? But the reason it's not bad news is because the transformation happened during this time when there was loads of money. And so that has become part of what, what people are doing every day. They're using technology in classrooms every single day, simple technology that they understand, and it's become part of every lesson. So now, when we start to look at our online services, um, we see things like this. Uh, does anyone know what that is? That. Has anyone seen that before, that sort of thing? Does it look familiar to anyone? It doesn't matter if it doesn't. This is something called Google Analytics. Okay? Every single website on the planet uh, is analysed by Google and they have data about Google. And if you own that website, you can use Google information to tell you about how people are using your website. In fact, they'll sell it to you as a service, Google can sell that. 
that information to your service. So here's analytics of people using, in fact, that service active teach that started off here as a CD-ROM, about this point we moved it online, and this is now, okay? Um, and the, these things are the number of people using it on a given day. Can anyone look at that and explain the shape? Why is it a sawtooth jagged thing? Any guesses? Well, maybe the people aren't giving the summer period, so they're not using it. Really so, what, the big gap here? Yeah, maybe. Perfect, you're really, really good. And it's not actually summer, but, 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 but really close to that. Or December. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a period of time when they're not using it. So why are these spikes like this then? Because they're weekends. Yeah, so that is Saturday, yeah. okay? And that is Sunday, and then that is Monday. Okay, so I can tell you a story about how people use our digital services in classroom. In fact, you know, if we go into all of this, we could analyze it for hours. On Monday, people are all ready for the week and they use it a lot. As the week gets on, people get tireder and they do less. Okay, so everyone slants a little bit down like that. On Saturday, nobody switches on active teaching. On Sunday, about 10% of usage it happens on Sunday as people are getting ready for their lesson. Uh, I hope that what I've shown you very quickly is a little bit of a timeline about how we went from quite a long time ago, lots of technology in schools, people were a bit frightened how to use it. The breakthrough for us was making something really simple that people could use, originally on CD-ROM, but now services are predominantly delivered online. Um, that have now become, and you know, we can see something that people use every single day of the week, every day of term, and also they're using them more and more. In fact, that's 2016 data and that's 2017 data for the same service. Okay, because for us, people change their patterns of usage at the beginning of the school year. So you know you don't you don't start doing something in the middle of the school year, you, you, you change it in the middle. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for, for, for telling us the story. Um, that was a little bit about it. Would you like to see some of the products and services that we do? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Siki, I know Siki's staying very quiet here, but that was the agreement we made earlier on. Not that she'd stay quiet, but I'd rant, rant on. When you ask questions, Siki probably answer a lot of them. Um, so uh, so here, here, here's, here's the library. Um, I'm, I'm really nervous in case any of you guys actually used any of this stuff when you were at school. Um, I still, I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing about working in publishing, because I do work in publishing, even though digital publishing is that people actually use the stuff that you make. And it's, it's, it's really quite sort of weird to sort of go, well, that was an idea that I had a long time ago, and now people use it. Anyway, this is our library, and so a teacher or a school gets access to this library. And this is something that we've done more and more of, is, you know that story of simplifying things? We used to have a product called Active Teach, another one called Active Learn, we could have, each one had their own subscription. What we've done is we've brought it all together into a channel bit like a TV channel. Um, so everything's there, and it's a bit like going on to Netflix. You know, you can sort of browse through and go, oh, what am I interested in? Find the box set that you're interested in. So here, we're going to talk about science for a little bit. Here's, some, here's my box set. Here's all the stuff that's in my box set. You can think of this as series one, series two, and then, you know, the, the little mini-series that are associated with it. So what we've done is we've, we've brought all these disparate digital elements that we had in different places and we put them together. So here is um, front of class teaching. Um, here's all the teacher support materials. And then, if 
see, could you mind just, I've got a weird mouse, but if you click on the student books, you'll see the versions of the student books that I can allocate, the exercises, if you wouldn't mind. Um, can you open up some of those? So we brought everything together, front of class teaching, and then exercises that you can set to your students. We used to call this homework, but people, some people used it at home, some people used it in the classroom. Um, and these are a little exercises. Do you want to launch that one? So these are for secondary school science kids. Has anyone ever used something like that looks like this? That's fine. <laughs> um, so this is auto-marked homework that we do um, online. Um, if anyone's interested in this, I, I, one of the most fascinating things that I found when I was doing auto-marked homework um, was, um, was this thing that just seems so obvious. Um, say your homework's about triangles, okay, um, and they've asked you to do your homework on triangles. What's your, when you're doing it, your brain is thinking about triangles, okay? When you finish doing it, your brain's thinking about sandwiches or whatever else. You know what? You, it's thinking about Facebook. It's thinking about anything, but it's not thinking about triangles. And what it turns out is that when you're thinking about triangles, your brain sort of gets activated and thinks about triangles a lot. Okay? And when you're thinking about other things, all the triangle thinking gets shut down. Now, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? You know that. You're not thinking about everything. That, you, know, you focus on different things. But that's the thing with homework is what we used to do in the ancient past. Okay? We used to ask kids to go home and do their homework. And they'd do their homework, and then they'd finish it, and they'd bring it into school the next day, and they'd hand it into their teacher, and then their teacher would mark it, and then two days later, their teacher would hand it back and say, how did you get on? Now, by the time that's happening, your brain shut down from over here. Okay? And so you've forgotten about triangles and you've forgotten about everything you're doing. So all of that feedback that your teacher gives you about how you got on is almost totally wasted because of the time delay between those two things. And so some really interesting research found that doesn't need to be sophisticated, but if at the moment that you're doing your homework, you get the feedback and it just tells you whether you got it right or wrong, and maybe a little <coughs> bit of feedback, then, the, then that will make so much more difference to your learning than waiting all of that time down the way. This is just a little tiny little bit of, sort of the, the sort of research that we're interested in when we're doing educational digital products to understand what makes better learning. One of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to use that sort of learning science in developing our products so that we can do something like prove efficacy, to prove whether it actually works. In the past, we used to think of ourselves as just make something and hope that it sells. Okay, that, was the, that was our main mission. Now, our main mission is to, to, to put something out there, hope that it sells, because it's going to be sold on use to anyone if nobody buys it. But when they buy it, we want, to, we, we want it to be effective, and for people to see that it is effective and it's making a difference. Do you want to think why our world has changed during that timeline we were thinking of earlier on, from worrying more about whether people think about its effectiveness? I mean, I'm ashamed slightly that we should have always been thinking about it, but, and we did, but now it's more important to us. Two things that are really important to us, Use, usage, which I showed you on those, those lines, and effectiveness. Why do we care so much? Because earlier on, there was, I think there were probably a few people doing it, so there was mass choice. That is true. understand as much, so they wouldn't know if it was the best. Yeah, excellent. So it's a less competitive landscape, and so it's like, oh, we've got it easy here. That's a great answer. Another one? Because 
That's right, yeah, because the funding went down, it became harder, so it's similar to yours. There's less money, more competitors, those two things go together. But the other thing is, is in the old days, I used to sell a CD or a book, right? And the thing is, once you've sold a CD or a book, you've sold it. Okay, and happy days, I've sold it, I've got money in the bank, think about the next product. Okay, but now what we're doing is we're selling online services. Okay, and so at the end of the year, we're hoping that someone is going to renew, right? And as budgets get cut, more and more, people are going to look at their budgets and say, what can I cut from my budget? And we need to be one of the things that isn't cut from the budget. So efficacy and usage are incredibly important. If you haven't used something in months, it's easy to switch it off. If you use something every single day of every single week, it's very difficult to stop buying. So it's really important to us that our products are really effective, really impactful, and really useful um, all the time. Uh, the first thing is, and I, th this is for everyone who, who works in publishing, whether it's digital or anything else, first thing is, is to know your customer. Who is your customer? Okay. So when you're selling products to schools in the UK, who is your customer? Well, the budgets go into schools and they get split up in schools and they get given to departments. Okay? So the English department has a budget, the history department has a budget, and the science department has a budget. And those departments decide how to spend their money. Okay? Um, and they go, oh, what I want is a textbook, or what I want is a digital service. So my customer will be that department, probably the head of department. And so that's the person I need to persuade, first of all, because they're the decision maker, and they're the budget holder. And that's really, really important. Now, the student may have to end up using this thing, okay? so they're the user, but they may not be the same as the customer or the decision maker. So what you're saying is absolutely right, because I need to persuade the budget holder to give me the money, but I need to make it right for the student. So that is, that, that is a really tricky, tricky dilemma. Um, another one, and this is, oh, I'm telling you my trade secrets here, this is, this is definitely a trade secret for me. Um, we're, we are the world's biggest educational publisher. Pearson is published all over the world. Okay? And I've, there are ten times as much money and ten times as many schools in America than there are in the UK. And believe me, Pearson sells to every single one of them. But in America, textbooks um, and digital services are bought in a really different way than from the UK. Okay? So in America, you have these things where they publish textbooks and the state or the school board makes a decision on an adoption. Yeah, you know this because you've got loads of international background as well. And, 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 and so then the schools can go, oh, I'll have those. And the schools don't really pay, is this right? The schools don't pay for the books, do they? they no, just get... so, so actually you have to, it's almost like grassroots. You, you target the teachers because they are the customers who want to buy but actually they don't have any of the buying decision power so what they have to do is you have to influence the teachers so that local teachers in the same district or lobby their district to say we really want this particular resource from this particular publisher please can you put it onto the state funded list and then it is the funding body in the state that will actually buy the books and then distribute them out to the schools. But, but as publishers, it's very hard for us to actually get into you know, the 
the funding bodies and actually talk to the decision makers. So it's about trying to influence the teachers to love your product so much, giving them samples, letting them see advanced copies so that they love it so much they go and lobby the funding people. But they're still lobbying them. And so the funding people can make decisions on based on what teachers are telling them, but also on other things. Okay? And so they might say, well, I'm terribly intelligent, and I've done research in this area, and my research says that it should be this. Okay? And they put that into their buying decision, as well as what the teachers are telling them. Okay? And so you, know, you need to press that button, and that button, and that button. Whereas in the UK, the teacher decides which one that they're going to do. So one thing I've noticed, I don't know whether you'll back me up on this. In the UK, if you can sell a product to a teacher that will save that teacher time, they will spend money on that product because it means they can go home at the end of the day and they can have more time with their family, which after all is what people really, really want to do in their lives. But if you're not that teacher and you, you're not making that decision about how quickly that you can get home in the evening, you might make your decision based on something completely different. Does it include this particular pedagogical model? And so, you know, we were talking about our customers, know your customer. Know what's driving your customer and what they're able to do. Because if the thing that they talk about is educational values and everything else, the things that they might not be talking about is how early I can get home to see my kids. Okay? And if they, if they have the power to make that decision, that will make a massive difference. Whereas your guys, your school board, okay, They'll make it on a different set of criteria. They might say the same things, and this is so difficult. When you talk to customers, the first thing they do is they tell you what they think they should be telling you. They'll say grand things about how the best ways to educate kids. Okay? That doesn't mean that that's what they will buy. Does anyone come across the MOM test? Have you heard of a book called the MOM test, anyone? It's, a, it's not that brilliant, but it gets quoted a lot. Um, if you come downstairs in the morning, or in the, in the evening, you're living at home with your mum, and you're going out on a date and you say, Mum, what do you think of my shirt? Your mum says, oh, that's lovely, dear. Okay? Why? Because she likes you. And because it doesn't cost her anything to say that. And customers are basically the same as your mum. Okay? If you go and ask your customer, do you think this is a good idea? Why would they say no? Okay? Why do they want to piss you off? You seem like nice people. They're going to say, oh, that's really nice. Yes, dear. I, I think that's a great idea. Would you buy it? Yes, dear, I'd buy it. Okay, is it, you know, would you buy a hundred? Yes, dear, I'd buy a hundred. Would they? No. Okay, this is about talking to customers. Know who your customer is and understand your customer. Okay, and really, really understand their motivation. Yeah, it's possible to send them samples, but it's quite hard to actually locate where the district council actually sits and who is the key contact there. Uh, without having people you know, on the grounds, it's very difficult to know who you would actually contact there and how you would go around lobbying them. So actually, I think in my previous publisher, OUP, we, we did use um, local sales people, sales reps in the States, to lobby the local teachers and do it that way because we found it was easier to access the district councils that way rather than trying to go directly to them. Well, I mean, occasionally you do get different states because each state in the US um, basically have a different, slightly different funding model. And some of the states will actually have, um, you know, they will have requests for, um, you know, you have to submit a tender for different. Um, 
you know, say, for example, they've seen an opportunity in IB diploma biology, they might actually call for submissions into that area. So that is a way where you can directly access the district funding councils. But if they don't have that kind of chance for you to submit, then it's very hard to actually get to them directly. Um, I'm going to look back at our list. Are we doing okay so far? Is this, is this okay? Yeah? You're remembering, I know you're asking brilliant questions. Thank you all those people who are asking brilliant questions, but do keep interrupting. I'm going to go back to my list because you gave us a great list of things. Um, uh, and it says, um, so that was, that was a bit of a sort of digital publishing, a brief overview of digital products in the educational market. We can talk in more detail about these things. We can talk for 20 years about any of these things. It's our obsession. Um, but I'm going to just move on because it says, uh, what does your job entail? How do you fit into the structure? Uh, <laughs> um, your teams, etc. Um, and say some examples of some products that you're working on. These are all really good, by the way. These are all just, Nick wrote these down on the list. I was just like, that's brilliant. We can talk about all of those. What does our job entail? What do, what do you think we do? So you just started with my team, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, so this feels like a test. It's not a test. <laughs> um, so my role is a product manager. So other companies would call that publisher. So my role basically entails what Mark was saying about trying to identify market needs and where there may be gaps in the market trying to come up with hypotheses for what we think we could do for the market to solve this market need, to solve this desperate need to, you know, save teachers' time, for example, or if there's, you know, curriculum reform, what can we offer them as resources to help them out with that? Um, and then it's about testing that hypothesis, seeing actually, is there that need? And like Mark was saying before, it's about, you know, trying to ignore them saying things like, yes, of course we like this idea, of course we'll buy it, and actually get to the crux of the problem and see if they would actually buy it. Uh, and then really just trying to put a business case together, ensure that the products are commercially viable, and then see how they fit into our list and our company structure and our strategy overall. Mm, brilliant. Um, so I thought what it'd be fun to do is to talk about a, a recent product that we developed, that Seek is now in charge of actually, that is not a digital product. And the reason is, is because the, the problems are the same. How do you identify the customer? How do you solve, how do you identify what their problem is? And how do you solve that? But sometimes with digital products, sometimes the scale of them is so big, we thought it might be quite quick and easy to talk about something which is a paper-based product. We did paper as well as digital. That ironically started in a digital world and moved into the paper world. So uh, we're gonna, gonna talk about that a little bit. If you guess what I'm talking about yet, yeah, because we didn't discuss this in the chat. We had a really lovely ta taxi driver on the way up who talked to us about engineering all the way up in incredible detail. And we couldn't <laughs> say a word to each other in the taxi. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so um, we, we, I'm gonna give you an example of a problem, okay? Because we always look for the problem. Okay, it's the problem curriculum change, it's the problem equipment I can't use, is the problem, what, what is the problem? So we, we knew a few years ago that, that one of the problems that had come up in schools was that budgets were getting cut. Okay? That is an inescapable problem, it's a problem for schools, they're having to do things for schools. And so we wrote a problem question. Okay? This is, this is going to sound like a stupid question, um, and it is a stupid question, it's a provocative question. It was, I wrote it for my team, how can we make shed loads of money out of saving people money? Okay? 
If people need money saved somehow, right? If we can solve that saving people money problem, then we'll become fantastically rich ourselves in doing it. Because if you solve a problem for someone, there's normally a way in which you'll become fantastically rich. But so, so it's, it's trying to do a good thing, yeah? Trying to do a good thing that, that, that drove us. Can anyone think of a company that's done this? Or places where this has happened? Because it happens all over the place, doesn't it? You see it all the time. Did you just have a hand up? Uh, Netflix. Netflix, how's that, how's that doing it? Uh, because you have a subscription and then you can see whatever you want. Yeah. So. Brilliant. Netflix yeah. makes loads of money out of saving people money on movies because they're not paying for loads of video rentals. No. Uh, the Roomba. People didn't want to do for their house, so they just got a Roomba instead. But does that save them money? It saves them their effort. I agree that the problem is effort there. I mean, you just have to be replaced quite often, especially the, uh, what's it, the touching bit inside the window. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I'm not going to go with it because okay. I have had several rumbas and they have all broken really quick. <laughs> um, but, um, so, so some other ones. Okay, Airbnb. How can we put people who've got loads of space in their houses together with other people who are looking for somewhere to go on, on holiday? Groupon, I was thinking, is an obvious one, isn't it? Groupon, the whole thing is, is how can I give people loads of special offers and things like that? So that was the problem that we set ourselves. Schools having their budgets cut, how can we help them do it? And so we started off, where would you start looking for ways to save money? Where would the first place you'd look? You'd look if, if you, you, what you're trying to do is save people money. What, would you, what, would you, what evidence would you look for? What, what might you look for for your customers? Okay, here's, 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 here's an idea. How about looking at what people are spending their money on? Okay, so that's where we started off. We started off looking at where people were spending money. Okay? Um, and we looked at their budgets and we saw their staff budgets were right up here. We saw their resources budgets were right down here. Um, we saw their buildings insurance and their buildings costs was somewhere in the middle, you know, and there were, and there were various different things. And do you know what? We found a budget in there that was much smaller than their staff budget, but bigger than their resources budget. So more money was being spent on this particular budget line than all the money that they spent on textbooks, online digital services, and everything that we as Pearson or OEP sell. Right? I was kind of interested by this particular one. Any guesses? It was just a little bit bigger. Any guesses what that might have been? I mean, it blew me away when I saw it. Photocopy budget. Schools spend more money on photocopying things every single day than they do on all of their digital learning services, all of their digital resources, and all of their textbooks. And so we thought, we don't like people photocopying because we don't make any money out of it, but also it's a complete waste of time. The other thing was we surveyed them and said, what do you really hate doing in your, your daily jobs? And one of the things was with photocopying, because photocopies are really annoying, they break down, yeah? Um, you know, and so they were wasting loads of money on it and they were spending loads of time. And so what we said was, what would be a solution? How could we solve this for them? So if you want to help solve someone's problem, they're photocopying stuff, how do you solve that problem? Just shout out an obvious answer. What could you do to help, to stop them having to photocopy something? What could you do? Print it for them, brilliant, absolutely. Print them for them. But what is the problem about needing to print it for them? We need to deliver it to them when? The moment they need them. Why do you use a photocopier? Because it's instant. You go, oh, I need this. Photocopy it, it's there. Okay. So, here's our problem. 
Schools need to save money on their budgets. They hate photocopying and they're wasting loads of money on photocopying. We can solve it by printing this stuff for them more cheaply than anybody else can, can do this thing. So, but they need to have it at the moment. So how can we guess what they're going to need to photocopy before they think, oh, I'm about to photocopy it? Access to the curriculum, excellent. That's a really good one because we know what's coming up in the teaching. And even easier than access to the curriculum, because I think that, that is the next one, okay, because we haven't got that far yet, is to say, what do they do on a regular basis? Right, okay, so one of the ones that we thought of, okay, this one failed. One of the things, what does every, boy, every school do, every year 11 student do about Christmas time? Sorry, I heard it. Huh? Revise for their exams. Revise for exams, because they're revising for what? At Christmas time, they're revising for mock. mock exams. So every school gives them a mock exam. How, do you, how does a school make a mock exam? <laughs> yeah, they photocopy exams. And what exams did they photocopy? Last year's exam, don't they? What are we? We're an exam board. We publish. We print loads of exam papers. So if what we did was we just had a stock of last year's exam papers in a warehouse somewhere and said to them, we're going to do a mock. Do you know how much schools, UK schools, spend photocopying last year's exam paper? I, I did the maths. I just multiplied the number of pages times the number of booklets that you have to do times the number of students that there are in the UK school times the number of subjects on average. So I said eight subjects, three papers, 20 pages each. Average price for photocopying to a school. How much do you just, we're going to play higher and lower. Someone give me a number. How much money do you think? Each year's year 10 mock exams cost the UK. 500k, higher or lower? Yeah. Huh? Higher, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't get excited if it was 500k. We wouldn't do something for 500k. Right, we're going for higher than 500k. Give me a number higher than 500k. It's an auction. Two million. Two million, higher or lower than two million pounds? <laughs> you hope lower. I'm sorry, we're going higher. <laughs> Seven million, higher or lower? Higher. 10 million, higher or lower? Higher. 12 million pounds worth of photocopying on last year's exam. 65,000 man hours standing in front of a machine gun. <laughs> if it never breaks down and you never have to refill the paper. Okay. That's a problem in education. That's how we found that problem in education. How much money could you make by solving that problem? Not that much. Well, I don't know, spending 12 million pounds, how about if we sold it to them for 10 million pounds? We'd save two million pounds for the budget, we'd make 10 million pounds for us. That'd be quite good. How about what we do is we say half the price. We make six million pounds, you save you six million pounds. Does that sound like a good proposition to you? Yeah, it's a simple proposition. Do you see where we started? Here's a problem, okay? Here's a way of solving that problem. And at this point, what have we got? You used the word brilliantly earlier on several times. We've got a hypothesis, okay? We think we can make money by solving this problem for these people. So when you've got a hypothesis, what's the next thing you're gonna do? You're all scientists, aren't you? What are you gonna do? Test it, okay? We're going to go out start talking to our customers. We're not going to ask them whether they like our jumper. We're going to give them tests. 
So with this particular one, the, the exam papers one was very complicated for all sorts of reasons of exam regulation. So instead what we did was we said they, they photocopied, what's their code copy all the time? Uh, experiments. Yeah, practical worksheets in science. Yeah. You know, teachers to hand that out in the classroom, you go, do this thing. Okay, so what did we do? Lab books. Yeah. <laughs> so we bound these book things together, pre-photocopied, there it is, it's a book where you photocopy it. Costs about two pounds to photocopy it, so we started off with a price point of one pound. Okay, save you 50%. Let's see whether we can we, we can we can do this thing. Now these things were hugely, hugely popular, but I've just jumped past where, where we did the test. With this one, it was so, so cheap to manufacture these things because we already had all the worksheets, we already had all the stuff. Remember, this is just the stuff that people are photocopying. So it's already our stuff that they're photocopying, so we already owned it. So our first test was we said, can we sell these things? Okay, because we knew that if we failed, we could fake it, right? How would you make that product if nobody ordered it? If only 10 people ordered it, it wasn't, it wasn't worth turning off the printer. How could you make that product a lab book, which is what people were photocopying in the classroom before? DOD. Yeah, print on demand, brilliant, but even more, more low five than that. We photocopied it in the office. If only 10 people ordered it, we could fulfill the orders by just using the photocopy. So there was a very low risk. But why was it a good test? It was a low risk thing, but it tested whether people really, really would buy this thing. Would you put money in your pocket and buy it? Much better test than do you like my jumper? Do you think this is a good idea? Would you? Okay, so that was actually, it's very rare for us to do that, but one of the ways that we created the test. So, problem identified, hypothesis, here's a solution over here. Test that hypothesis. And at each stage, what we're trying to do is we're trying to kill the product so that we don't make the product. Because if it's a bad idea, we don't want to make it. So just keep coming up with ways of killing your product and questions to answer to try and kill it. And if this thing can't be killed, it's got to be a good idea. Okay. So the question was, is what do we do in our day jobs? That's exactly what we do. So Siki, yesterday we had a conversation where you brought me three ideas. Yes. Yeah. So how long did you spend on those three ideas? An hour-ish. Okay, so Seeking hasn't invested too much time at that point, and the, the next stage of the investment in working out whether this is a good idea is she has a conversation with me. This is the rule that we have now. That's the first step in a publishing process. Have a conversation with somebody else. Okay, partly because when you say it out loud, it might sound stupid, and they can tell you. Partly because chances are somebody else you have a conversation with, we always say your line manager, might have some experience and they might go, oh, we tried that before, not a good idea. What's our next step? What are we going to do this afternoon when we get back? Present it to the rest of the team so that they can try and kill the idea. Okay, so this is the way we're working. Okay, Siki's done an hour, half an hour, an hour, about an hour's worth of work on three ideas. She's going to bring them to our team meeting. Okay, we're going to present them to each other. This is what you guys are going to do in your, your things. You're going to present them to each other, aren't you? Because you work in a team. Okay, we try and kill the idea. If we don't manage to kill the idea, what, what would be your prize? I get to take it forward. Well, you get to take it forward for two weeks. Yeah? Yes. To try and kill it in that two weeks. And what hell after that two weeks, Siki will come back to our team meeting. Okay? And this is where the conversation comes along. And she'll say, I tried to kill it. I didn't manage it because, you know, it's a good idea and whatever. And this is how we develop our idea. And we only need to move it up to the higher level if we need to ask for more money. So this has been a change since we last talked anyway. In the old days, people used to work by themselves and have brilliant ideas and craft them and not tell anybody else. 
What we do now is we tell people as early as possible. We tell friends about it with the hope that friends will criticise it and help us to make it better. Because you get defensive. If you've worked for six months on an idea and someone tells you it's a bad idea, you're not going to listen. Right? If you've worked on it for an hour, and I say, well, how about this one? See if he doesn't mind. <laughs> not, not too much, anyway. So we tend to talk a little bit about how we work and how we develop these ideas and the sorts of things that we, we work on. This is our philosophy now. Whatever the product, whether it's digital, whether it's paper, whether it's anything, find the problem, develop a hypothesis, Talk to friends about it as much as you possibly can. Try and get them to kill your idea. If you can't kill it yourself, go out and do some more work on it. But that way you limit the amount of time, effort, money you're spending at every stage as much as possible to try and get away from it. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you. I'm really sorry. No, but we're sorry. We've another class coming through. Yeah. Um, so can we all put our hands together and thank you?